Hi everyone, I'm Amelia Quince, and you're listening to Bad Astrologers, where we take a cultural, spiritual, literary, and mythological look at the heavens. As always, this show is independently fueled by our Patreon supporters, who also happen to be the smartest group of mystics on the internet. The only place you'll find my exclusive monthly forecasts and horoscopes is over at patreon.com slash badastro. Plus, you can dig into the archive of bonus episodes while you're at it. If all that sounds like your cup of tea, come on over and join us. I'm also available for one-on-one readings and mentoring sessions over at ameliaquint.com if you want a helping hand planning ahead for eclipse season or honing your astrological skills through tailored assignments, goal setting, and a side of magic. Finally, if you listen to Bad Astrologers and absolutely love it, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. It really is an enchantment for the algorithm and helps the show grow. And follow us at Bad Astrologers on Instagram and Twitter to stay up to date on the latest releases, which are every Venus Day, aka Friday, so you'll have something fun to listen to over the weekend. Now, on to the episode. Is astrology a form of magic? In this episode, Christopher Chow, an astrologer working in the Hellenistic and medieval traditions and crafting Materia Magica, delves deep into the heart of both practices with me in search of an answer. This was a wild ride of a conversation, and one that lets our big, optimistic, wide-ranging, and Jupiter-influenced personalities go into full adventure mode, talking about everything from both being Scorpio suns with Gemini moons to the Picatrix and Agrippa. We talk about, in Christopher's own words, what it means to live astrology, bringing it down to earth by laying a groundwork for a complex terminology and saying how a newcomer might go about creating an astrological magic practice of their own. It's as rich and broad as the many paths he pulls from in his work, and I hope you love it. Okay, you know what time it is. Sit back, relax, take a deep breath, and let's start the show. Hi, Christopher. Thank you so much for joining me on Bad Astrologers today. Hey, Amelia. Thanks for having me on the show. And thanks for bearing with our... We've had some uh, Mercury and Pisces-based technical difficulties, but we're there. We did it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So proud of us. We made it this far. We're we're both um, very used to just um, this what everyone's experiencing right now, the Mercury shenanigans. That's our everyday life. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, you know, you get used to it after a while. Um, so I want to start with the traditional first bad astrologers question, which is what's your earliest memory of being drawn to the spiritual, whether that's astrology or a tarot or magic or something in between? Mm, um, like, are we talking specifically like, a, like when I was drawn to astrology or just the idea of like spirituality? um it can be either or um okay well uh, i you know Mer- i've got mercury and a jupiter sign so uh, let's go on a slight ten little tangent um so the first the first time i ever experienced spirituality was um uh i suppose when i was a little when i was a little kid and right when i got my first depressive episode living in hong kong and kind of like out of um, just like frustration. And uh, mind you, like my entire family is pretty secular. So, you know, there's no idea or concept of God being thrown around in the household. Yet as a little kid, I just started uh, screaming at God 
like internally, externally, um, all of those things. So, and then I kind of just like ran with that and just kind of d- the screaming developed into a more nuanced and loving relationship. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that was my first experience. And then with astrology, um, when I had uh, first immigrated to uh, the States, Washington State, um, I remember just uh, just reading about the signs and I just was kind of, they were just really compelling to me in a way I couldn't, or my little brain couldn't articulate back then. Um, but uh, I was, I remember like before I knew anything about astrology, I was reading about Sagittarius because, you know, November 23rd. And I thought, oh, this is a horseman archer thing. That's cool. That's cooler <laughs> than a goat. I'll take, I'll nice. take it. So, and then it basically just never stopped from that point. So it's just been a, a continual like obsession of going further and further into that exploration. I feel like those rabbit holes are are the basis for most people's astrological studies, or at least the genesis of it, right? Yeah, um, it. I I would definitely say that the uh, the the kind of uh, ton the tunnel vision, sort of like kind of digging and trying to get unearth like the mysteries of astrology didn't really happen until um right around the time that i was in high school but i had always just had always just been kind of like in my periphery just always kind of reading information here and there uh as i was uh growing up and going through pubescent hell you know (laughs) yes as we all do yes um, now, when did astrological magic become a part of that equation? Was that later on? Yeah, that was that was much much later on. Um, so that I I formally started practicing astrological magic around 2020, right? Mm. Basically, around the, around right before the Great Conjunction. Um, yes, and basically this as i started getting deeper into astrology this i this desire to m- make astrology something that it was living m- in a very visceral way as opposed to just like looking at you know charts and then just having this be very like a very abstract co- like conceptual type of thing i wanted to live astrology um mm. so this this desire had always just been sitting in my heart and it was around 2020 when um, right at the start of the pandemic where I got to experience what retirement is going to feel like, which, <laughs> which at, at this point as a millennial, I thought was just a myth. It was pretty, retirement was basically like a unicorn to me. Um, but uh, yeah, we had, we had that little lull. And then that uh, I had, had been listening to the astrology podcast, like joined joined Twitter in 2018, I think like right before uh, Ju- Jupiter entered Sag, along with a like a, a nice, a, you know, that like wave astrologers that just kind of came around that time. I was part of that mm-hmm. wave. Um, and then just kind of listening further along uh, to Austin Copics, like uh, talks and works and everything just kind of like led me down through planetary re- remediation, which is where I started. And then, Excellent. and then basically it's just, yeah, it's, um, and I've largely, it was just largely like a self-taught process. Um, but, uh, leading, b- 
before that though i had been i had been a devout like yoga practitioner teaching as well so i had already like built a foundation like a spiritual practice and a foundation so when when i started adding um astrological magic into it it was a pretty like seamless transition and it was really easy to like integrate that into on top of like my yogic practice and then it just sort of like kept like growing from there okay you have said so many things here that i love um the first of which was about wanting to live astrology and really ground it and i think that's one of the things you do so well and that's one of the things that i'm really passionate about in astrological practice is bringing it from this sort of very abstract um chart based thing with lots of complicated terminology to something that we can really use and understand and live by in alignment with the cosmos so we are super on the same page there um i love that you uh joined twitter in this sort of 2019 wave that was a really fun time for astrology twitter i think um, and maybe it was like Jupiter and Sagittarius or something. Oh, but it was I, lovely. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, uh, I had, <laughs> um, during that, uh, transit, I had ended, um, I was in a sobriety program for like prior to that, like for about, uh, five years. And during that tra transit, I ended that and also discovered Hellenistic astrology. And then that was when sort of like, over the years of just this kind of casual studying just got um it was just like this perfect circle where then every little bit i learned kind of uh it just like co cohered in a way mm -hmm. where it became this foundation that i within those uh from 2018 till now the amount of learning that i've done with astrology and then um has just quadrupled like compared to over like from i don't know like 13 up until like 26 like i felt like i learned more in these few years than in that like decade and a half yeah absolutely and i think that like with astrology you go through these like growth spurts or something where and i think the more that you learn about astrology the more that you realize that you don't know and then you want to try and get all the knowledge you know or maybe that's just our gemini moons talking that's how i experience it for sure i feel i feel that it's probably i relate that more with our scorpio sun where we get it's like um the the our, our moon in gemini kind of does the data gathering and it's just sort of um it's you know doing the lunar thing it's just sitting there gathering information like here and mm -hmm. there um and kind of, and then um then we have all of these details and our, our Scorpio sun disjunct to the, to the moon is just sitting there trying to like get down into these little details of every single little thing that's kind of picked up. But then kind of like over time, uh, they all, it all starts to cohere and where it's like, Oh, it, these, all these separate things were actually like all one big picture that, that, uh, you know, and then it created allowed that created the foundation for this like growth spurt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as a so for the audience who's listening, um, Christopher is a Scorpio Sun and Gemini Moon like myself with Virgo rising, um, which happens to be conjunct my Venus. So I think he's absolutely fabulous. Um, but this will this will make you laugh, I think. So just this last week, have you heard of Airtable? 
It's like um, it's like Excel Plus. It's like a database building in the cloud. And I decided to make my own astrology database for my research uh, so that I could combine Vedic astrology with Western astrology um, mm -hmm. and have something that's searchable for all my chart examples. It's really, really extra. But I feel like what you were describing about that information gathering that can go really broad and then really deep. Yeah, it's a bit much, just a little bit much. I um, I've got I that is what I'm striving towards to the ga data gathering part because I've got um we've both got Mercury in detriment right and that Mercury Moon opposition right um my Mercury is in Libra and it's trying my Moon oh okay okay um so I've got I've got Mercury in Sag and um, yes. <laughs> we love to see it um so I've been trying to uh restrain the hot takes <laughs> <laughs> okay okay because um it's very uh it's I, i'm very much that's my habit where like it's just i get excited about an idea and then i just like want to go like spread it around and like shout it on a on a rooftop but then it's a like mountain top yeah. mountaintop um uh but then i'm just like mm, wait wait hold on we gotta do we gotta do a little due diligence so i'm still wor working through the due diligence part <laughs> Okay, but that's growth, though. That's impressive. You're you're doing it. Um, you know what? While we're talking about your Mercury and Sagittarius, why don't we talk a little bit about essential dignity? Because I feel like this is something that came up in the conversation huge around 2020, and I'm so glad that it did. I feel like it is so important to deepen our understanding of how the planets and science relate to each other. Mm -hmm. um, and your chart is an amazing example of how this works because you have Venus in Libra, Mars in Scorpio, Saturn in Aquarius, and Pluto in Scorpio if you count the outers, and I definitely do. Mm. So with all these planets in domicile, aka their home signs for folks that are newer to the conversation, what have you learned from having access to these planets at the most them, so to speak, kind of the height of their character? Um, so actu actually, um, it's really interesting because in my chart, I, I describe my chart in two ways. <laughs> um, and the second way, uh, someone had told me, a friend of mine had told me this, and I thought it was really funny. Um, so I, I, my chart's kind of like a bunch of like wind and just like gusts of wind, just like all over, just shooting, moving in chaotic directions. But then sitting below that is just this ditch. It's like a little a swamp. So you've so and that's sort of like and that's sort of how it feels like. It's that these two parts just uh, there's a it's it's like a very strenuous trying to like merge them together. And then the second uh, way I would my friend described my chart was that it's basically like being in a really loud bar and everyone is shouting. <laughs> Yeah, I could see that. I could definitely see that. Yeah. Um, so it's it, they with those domicile planets. It's just sort of like um, it, it's very they're, they feel very habitual, and it's very hard mm. to um, kind of like do something different. Yeah. Or and then because they're so loud, it's like I often don't even pay attention to them as much like oftentimes i'm focusing really on basically my my i'm doing like mercury jupiter and moon stuff most of the time 
where I'm consciously aware, even though those three domicile planets are kind of going all the time. Um, and then mm. uh, there's also, I've also got the uh, Pluto, Mars, Sun reflecting uh, Saturn. So they're in Antitia with each other. So they're actually, that's why they're kind of like a swamp. And this is all, and they're all lords of my dark house, dark houses. That's quite a lot. So also, I think for a lot of folks who will be listening to this podcast, um, they're going to be really new to some of that terminology. So when you say Antitia, can you tell folks what that what that means? Yeah, so um, Antitia's are, I think they're sort of like astrology's first midpoint. Um, mm. They are they are uh, reflections on the uh, sol on the solstice and the equinoctial axes, and they're um, and essentially it's one way I just like describing it is you know uh, they if if you're looking at traditional astrology, then you've got you've got this uh, the aspect of aversion, which in my in my opinion is the most difficult aspect because it's basically it's a no there's no relationship at all. Um, mm -hmm. yet if we're going by sort of, if we're going by like, uh, from the first house and looking at, you know, the aspect doctrine, then we've got four signs in aversion to the ascendant. And yet if from my experience of studying astrology, astrology is all about nuance and mitigations mm -hmm. and, you know, just like there's, it's always about like, you know, these like considerations that are happening and it seemed way too simple just to have like a fourth of the chart be like a blind spot and this is where antitias come in antitias are essentially uh they mitigate aversion so so out of out of the four signs that are usually in aversion to the ascendant so you know let's just say with virgo that would be um leo libra and then um aquarius and aries now, if you mm -hmm. add the Antitia and Contra Antitia, so Antitia would be the reflection uh, on the uh, solstice axes, and then the Contra Antitia would be uh, reflections on the equinoctial axes. Um, uh, with, so then with the Vir Virgo would be reflecting Aries. They are each other's Antitia. Um, and uh, uh, you can think of this as, if you think about a time of, a point of a, a day in Virgo season and uh, the amount of sunlight that is hitting during that day, you can find a day during Aries season that gets the equal amount of sunlight. So signs in Antitia are signs of equal power. Oh, that's such a good explanation for that. That's so succinct. That's excellent. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And then now, then you also have the Contra Antitia which is uh, signs that are reflecting on the um, uh, equinoctial axes. And these, these signs share, share uh, the similar ascensional times with each other. So they're sharing time with each other. So um, Virgo and Libra will, at certain points, will end up having the same ascensional time. Um, and they, these, and this all this is a little this is a uh, signs of contra and tisha are actually true op are in true oppositions because the, because they are completely different by temperament in every single way 
So like mm -hmm. if we're thinking, once again, going back to Virgo, if we're thinking about the uh, opposing sign of Virgo, Pisces, by temperament, they're still both cold. Whereas Virgo's contra and Tisha, Libra, they're completely different in temperament in every single way. Virgo being a um, melancholic temperament, being cold and dry, and uh, Libra being sanguine in its temperament, uh, hot, uh, hot and moist. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, sorry. Go go on. Oh, I was just gonna say. I think that this is one of the things that I love most about astrology is that there are so many angles to come at it, and so many different. Um, practices that weave through it. I know that Hellenistic and traditional astrology is a huge part of it, but um, from talking to you about the the temperament and you know sanguine versus melancholic, it sounds like there's a little more a little medieval in there as well. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I and I often like ha practice with both of those together. Include and I do also include the outers as well. Awesome. I think, um, yeah, that's really where I've seen people in recent years doing like such cool work is not just saying, not just vowing allegiance to one system or another, but saying like, no, I'm going to take the, the best of what's out there and the best of what's available and really, um, you know, combine it and experiment with it. Kind of like astrological alchemy, I guess. Yeah. Um, so speaking of alchemy and magical things, I want to ask you a little bit more about astrological magic, um, because I know that you make amazing Materia Magica and that that's a huge part of your practice. So let me set the stage. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. So my audience is made up of a super wide variety of astrology lovers from professionals to people who are at the very beginning of their astrology journey. They've like definitely not read Dorothea Surveillance, right? Um, and there's also folks that are pretty new to magic, magic with a K as well. Like they've felt things, they've had intuitive hunches here or there, or, you know, maybe dreams that came true, but they might not self-identify as a magical person, but they're interested in this concept of, I, I want to use astrology to um, do magic or make something. For those folks, how would you explain what Materia Magica even is? Um, yeah, so essentially, like um, a lot, so a lot of the uh, a lot of the practices are based upon um, based upon uh, the grimoires of um, the Picatrix and the Agrippa and. And these were just like these were like technical manuals that were basic that were describing both like a philosophy of of the world which included astrology. So back then, like astrology was not just like sort of this divination tool. Like astrology was science. It was how mm -hmm. one understood the world. And and a lot of astrological, a good portion of astrological magic is sort of, is this like. Um, you bottle you're just sort of bottling the sky in the transit and then then there's just a bunch of rules <laughs> um <laughs> it's so many rules <laughs> yeah it, yeah the fun the f interesting thing though is that which rules are more pertinent will depend on your practice and as well as your relationship with a given sphere mm -hmm. uh, um so there that's one that's one way um now I, for me and the material that I craft, um, I, 
the the purpose of them is to essentially the, to be used for theurgical purposes. And theurgy is um, ooh, how, like how do I just theurgy is just basically like um, it's like a type of magic where you're specifically calling upon a power, be it like a spirit or a deity, in in order to you know. And you and interfacing and working with that power in order to achieve whatever whatever it is you're attempting to like do, and um, uh, the material the material that I've been making has always been more on a like devotion devotional side, and it kind of comes back to this uh, mm -hmm. this desire of wanting to make wanting to live astrology. And I, while I definitely have inner senses and have many instances of like gnosis um yeah. it's i i'm definite i'm definitely not nearly do, don't have nearly as wide of a breadth of experience as like some of my colleagues and like close friends do um but that and that being said like so the materia for me is is part of building building an interface with a given sphere in order to directly like in order to directly work with it and the reason why that's why that is you know why that's important is um like like Aust like how austin Kopic has like beautifully described is that you know astrology getting just like just understanding your natal promise using astrology is sort of like getting a diagnosis from a doctor but then you're not really given any you're just being told how what like what is going on what's what and when you start adding, start practicing magic, astrological magic, even theurgy, then that's where you begin to go into like the um, the cure, uh, not even the cure. Like you're going into like uh, then you're finding the solutions, the the cure, and you know the protocols to help like kind of work out like the diagnosis that you're given. And and the reason why it's magic is because at least for me, I. And personally, really do see the world as much more deterministic than. Well, I wouldn't. I don't know who, who I'm referring to when I say that, but I, I see the world as very deterministic. And when we're when looking at a natal chart, you're basically seeing what your what point A and point B and point C will be. Now, the why map, even though like you have this outline path everything between point a point b and point c there's myriads of ways that you can get to that point and then when you begin and under normal circumstances when one is just sort of going with emotions then they're just sort of at the whims of like their chart they're just sort of at the whims of like these natural forces these seven spheres and um these the seven the seven spheres they are like we, we we can think of them as like natural forces. That's why, like in a lot of like, uh, you know, in hermetic yeah. texts, they're called like the governors. They're the seven mm -hmm. governors, and they, the spheres are not human. And you know, it, it's very fun to like kind of like personify the planets. You know, like oh Mars, Mars likes this. Oh Saturn's being mean to me. But in actuality, the the planets are the spheres are completely inhuman. They, yes, they're completely. <gasps> I love to hear you say this, by the way. I'm so excited. I thought I was like the only person who thought this based on the Twitter conversation, but like, because I'm a, I've been studying Hermetic Kabbalah for like two, two three years now. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, that's just where I land on it. But it is it is a fun, I think, astrological exercise to personify the planets and consider their likes or dislikes or character traits. But oh, absolutely. as we're talking about um, like magic specifically, it, it I, I find it really interesting to hear you make that distinction of like, no, these are, you know, you could call them governors or planetary intelli intelligences or vibes or forces, but not actual like beings. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah, and this is and this is one of the reasons why I just have fallen deeper and deeper in love with um, astrology. Is that and especially like hermet, like you know, the hermetic, like all these like divine mysteries. Is that it? Sent it takes the center away from us and kind of opens it up. So mm -hmm. under normal circumstances, one just like kind of is under the whims of the governors and sort of these transits. Now, where magic comes in, I always define. The whole idea of magic, magic has the connotations of being akin to like a miracle, you know, it's like acts of miracle, whereas one should really think of magic as simply the natural, sort of like the natural forces of the world. It's just simple. It's magic is, is simply something like we would think of like, you know, lightning or gravity. Um, hmm. And when, when you begin to, and this idea of interface is really important because th these planets, we're they're on a different plane. They're on another level of intelligence that we cannot even fathom. And we can't, trying to just tap into a, a sphere without any kind of interface, without any kind of conduit, is like trying to touch electricity. It just like, you would just, it would not, you would not be able to do anything with it. And it would just probably cause harm because of the power, the natural power within it. So the astro, when one begins to, now, when one begins to practice magic and engage in theurgy, they immediately start. They immediately begin to, like, for a lack of a better term, like, start to elevate, like, elevate themselves to a point where now they are no longer just under. They are now consciously engaging with these tides of like, these tides of energy, these tides of power, and then and once they begin doing that, then then it's it becomes about creating that interface so that one could actually work with a given sphere. And these interfaces are often, are oftentimes the, and these are the angelic beings. These are the, um, these are the choirs t attached to each of the different planets. Um, these are, could even be the, this could even be like de demonic entities. Um, but it is then building this interface that allows one to begin to actually work with a given sphere so then that they can find the best they can find the most productive pathway to get from point a to point b so and i have this dumb joke where like you know you you can either end up with abc in times new roman or you can end up with abc in comic sans <laughs> and yeah nobody wants that's really good and nobody wants comic sans and you know it's like no and it's and that matters, you know, like it does. how how it ends up like manifesting, even though it's ultimately still an A, a B, or a C. But you know, it matters how, the, how it actually ends up manifesting. So that's like essentially, and I think this is where astral magic is the most powerful because you're tuning into this, you're tuning into these uh, natural forces that uh, that you know move so many things down down here in the sublunar sphere. Uh, whereas, like, you know, and other type forms of magic, they might be more results-based, and that's perfectly fine, and you can certainly use 
astral magic to get those results. But it, in my personal opinion, if one is practicing astral magic theurgy in the in the serious way, then materia begin, becomes begins to become um, irrelevant because ultimately the materia serves to just build that interface. And the end goal down the line is that one no longer needs materia to interface with a given sphere. Yes. Wow, yes, 10 out of 10 to that. I've always been a huge, huge proponent of the, the materia is just something to, to use more modern language, like to set the psychological state that allows you to be able to begin to access those natural forces or whatever you however you want to refer to that um but it's not required you don't need to go out and buy a bunch of stuff you can just do it with only yourself um so yeah, yeah very very cool and that's why like whenever um i always recommend because i do offer uh remediation like planetary remediation readings where we just solely focus on that um and I always, when they ask me about materia, I always tell them um, that I always tell them that the I highly recommend uh, create uh, building a practice uh, like a planetary practice first before using materia, and and you know and there's you know there's there's some who like disagree with using materia uh, and how it like can be potentially consumerist, and you know and I do agree um. with and I do agree with that. But I also think, though, that we have to, um, I also think that it's important to factor in our current circumstances in that we are right. consistently bombarded with our five senses and we live in um, a, a social and cultural context of modernity where um, it, even if we don't think we do, like it is built, baked into our being just because, you know, it is our circumstances. So I I personally find that it's so, I find more often than not, so many uh, folks share my, like, my struggles of trying to uh, release, trying to reframe modernity uh, as to be like uh, just another model as opposed to like mm. the, the, um, the absolute nature of like reality. Hold on, say that again. I want to make sure that I follow. So they want to reframe modernity to be like to another, like more subjective or? Yeah, to, to loosen the grip of modernity and to just see it as simply like another model as opposed to like gospel, in other words. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, the this idea that like everything that we have now, like, you know, this very like, scientific materialist point of view is almost like scripturally adhered to mm -hmm. um and and taking a little more time to to think outside the box and open our minds to the way things um have been or could be or so on i think that's excellent yeah um okay i i'm can i ask you some questions about your like specific astrological magic practice yeah, absolutely. Do, do you have a favorite um, astral materia magica artifact that you've ever made? Like, was there someone that you made and you're like, this is it, this is everything? Hmm. Um, it's, it's hard to say because it's like, it, 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 the more each time I do it, like it continues to build that interface 
and then like it becomes more potent like the more and more mm -hmm. i learn so it's like you know i make one i make one series and i'm just like oh my oh my goodness that was like really that was powerful like i'm really digging this um it, that just but i don't know if that's just my my jupiter in the first just like <laughs> hyping my own stuff um but, no i totally agree my teacher um naha often says uh, magic is cumulative um and i think about that all the time of like everything that you've ever done magically is like building on itself to get better and better but Oh, could and, be Jupiter too. Yeah, and I also wanted to just uh, give a shout out to Caitlin Kopic, Caitlin Kopic for just uh, basically all everything I do with my like talismanic materia is all inspired by Ka Caitlin Kopic and her and her work on Sphere and Sundry. Yeah, absolutely. I know that she's the um, the go to, the sort of seminal. Um, She's astrological like, magic person and also um austin copic i for me i know he's done like decans and astrological magic but like i love his work on mundane astrology especially through the astrology podcast and um, yeah. i don't know i feel like out of everyone's predictions like he's always it's that doesn't he have capricorn rising like it might be more serious or more grim but like it always he, is <laughs> he has he's got uh exalted jupiter in the first um reflecting reflecting moon reflecting the moon so jupiter and cancer in the first house whole sign house reflecting Dang. moon and gemini in the 12th but i believe his uh i believe his mars is in pisces so that they've got this jupiter mars trine that's why there's a there's a little bit of a, a grittiness yeah team mars and pisces i love that i've mm -hmm. had a lot of mars and pisces people on this show okay um one more thing I, I want to ask that I saw on your website that I thought was really, really beautiful was you said that justice and healing don't exist without each other. Um, how does that inform your work as an astrological practitioner, as a magician, or just your spirituality in general? Yeah, um, so one of the most, as I've been diving deeper into this work, what's actually really fascinating is that um, I've, I'm actually coming, I, I've never considered myself to be like a nature person ever. <laughs> oh my gosh, me either. I'm like an uh, inside cat for sure. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh, my stepdad says that I'm, he's like, you're basically a cat. And I'm like, I, I love that. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but the, that's the really fascinating thing. The, as I've been diving deeper into astrological magic ceremonial magic i'm act it's actually led me back to the land and actually and how how like the land is so critical and how like by just like understanding the land and the history and the context you just really get to see like some of these bigger bigger themes and these bigger problems that continuously um that continuously uh are exacerbated and repeated and and mm that's and with i guess with the i guess with the just with the justice justice and the healing and how that relates with magic i just think about you know i i, I know lots of folks uh there's a little bit of a divide where some consider themselves to just like you know for what i'm thinking about is like if we're talking about just astrology and offering like readings to people um some like some folks see themselves as simply giving a reading they're just there to tell mm -hmm. you 
what 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 is point a b c and then like everything in between and then that's it whereas for me personally i it's a and perhaps this is because i have a culminating moon <laughs> um um but uh to me i just i i find that we actually have more responsibility than that because if you know if we if we're, when i think about like what it means to be like uh aware and kind of have this like justice context then it makes me think about how like then we have to think about like the circumstances and accessibility and all these things and mm -hmm. you know people most of the time folks don't come to an astrologer when everything is great <laughs> definitely not a lot of times people are going through some really really tough shit yeah and you know the and there's just this the the there's just this like deepening distrust in like in sort of like the institutions of health and of health of healthcare that just continues to deepen and deepen where you know a lot of it's with that then there's also like the in a, the not having the ability to access any of these like services to find the care that one needs so a lot of people are looking and going to these alternative modalities um so so with that in mind um it's just something i always try to keep keep in mind when um when i'm practicing especially when i'm making materia um it's which is i always just think like you know am i doing this because i've i'm trying to make money or is this actually like is this act is this actually like worthwhile um and then mm. i also just think about like the way that like i interact with uh, people you know like if somebody comes up to me and asks me should i should i get this should i get this oil or should i get this candle I, I i always say you know go divine on it go see if it actually is something that would work for you and i will often do that for uh, people who inquire about picking things up because so that it keeps me honest and yeah. that, um so I guess I don't know if that answered the question. That was kind of rambly. No. no, I think that's great. And I think it's such an important conversation to have. This is something that I work with my students on too, is that like I think it is an essential conversation to first of all remember that people may come to astrologers in a time of crisis and we we have varying <clears throat> abilities or potentially certifications to be able to help people with that. But just, you know, having humility and an understanding that like you're here to help and to provide care and spiritual direction and to take it serious and then also to provide things at different price points that gives more folks access provide in as much as you're able to for your body and your life like provide free content you know i remember when i started out it there's so much free and deep and potent astrological information out there now and i'm so grateful for that because it wasn't all it wasn't always that way, you know? So it's it's been a big change in the last few years, but one that I think is going to do a lot of good for, for the world and the community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and uh, Josephine McCarthy, who I'm, I'm currently following her uh, free online course for magic, Quaria, um, often talks about how m one magic should not be the source of one's livelihood because if it if magic is the source of one's livelihood then no matter how um then that and then that will end up 
like informing of how they practice their magic and you know and uh, and i can't and those are her that's me paraphrasing her words um and and i just know for myself personally like that's really important so like as i'm kind of progressing forward i'm Mm -hmm. also attempting to like not do as not produce as many workings as well and not to be like trying to just basically not make to keep uh, sort of my talismanic materia practice um, devotional of devotion as opposed to of like commerce. Hmm. uh, Absolutely. I'm curious though, um, how would that particular philosophy apply to someone who maybe um, is a full-time astrology um, consultant? Like, you know, how would that potentially apply to them? Are you seeing magic as something different than astrology in that case? Or yes. You know, okay. Okay. Because um, um, go ahead. Yeah, because to you know we can we can certainly use intuition to guide our the way that we use astrology, but you you don't actually don't even need it though because astrology. That's why I love astrology. It's so dry, it's actually so dry. Which is which is why I, I'm um, you know uh, okay and this might just be me like getting on a, a little like uh, uh, hot take thing but it's like I just um, I that I find that's what makes astrology so compelling that astrology is a rigor is the most one of the most rigorous uh, div- divinatory practices. Uh, in my in my opinion, and you and it should be done. It should be done in a dr- very dry way, and that's why I don't I don't consider providing readings like at some level to be magic, even though they are definitely related and work with each other. But you can certainly be provide readings, and it can be completely like separate from magic. Hmm. I com- I do I completely agree with that. I think. Um there are places where we diverge within it but the overall idea that like astrology is separate from magic being an astrologer does not mean that you're are a magician astrology is um a practice it's a system it is systematic it's math sorry everybody um and yeah you can do astrology without um any intuition but i for my practice, like I, I've been saying that my mission is to make astrology more fun, positive, and magical, um, because I really, really believe that astrology is at its best when it's backed with some form of intuition, and that, that intuition is something that we can all hone and that we all have access to, right? Mm-hmm. And that dryness, it's funny because it's like, it's a contradiction, right? The dryness is simultaneously to me a strength and a weakness, right? And I don't necessarily think that discussing astrology in a way that's dry gives it more rigor, right? Like to me, I find that to be one of the biggest problems with the way that, I don't know, maybe the, let's just say like the academy or something would view astrology, right? That if you use more keywords, more terms, you know, that somehow adding magic to it would like dilute the rigor or like not discussing it, discussing it in a way that's like fun and enjoyable somehow perceives, people would perceive it as being less official. You know what I mean? Yeah. um, Yeah, no, certainly I agree with all those things. So let me 
qualify what I mean by dry. So, um, it's you mean cut and dry, right? Huh? Oh, you you mean like um, in quotes cut and dry, right? Like um, this is just a cut and dry thing. Sort of like um, I I guess maybe I want to lean more on the rigorous part, which is that you know, um, kind of approach to approach it in sort in a way where in a rigorous way where you're where one is trying to you know like you know for example it's like uh one of the ways i check myself is that i'll come up with a hot take but then i but then the next step is to then verify it with data to back that claim mm. up and trust but verify right mm-hmm. yeah and and certainly like it um there is a problem where if if you just if one becomes um too dry and too too brittle where it's only like it's only this way or it's only this method that works which but then when it when you think about it though astrology itself is pretty magical because astrology is you know essentially look looking at the sky in a very specific perspective a geocentric perspective mm-hmm. and to so it's like so right there we already know that it it's there's always going to be a a level of it that is like incomplete because it's like purely from our perspective um and i think the uh i find that when one is rigorous in their practice then the intuition just only serves to bolster and strengthen it yeah absolutely and i i would also say that you you can have astrology plus intuition but like you can't make up for shitty astrology with vibes. Mm-hmm. You know exactly. what I mean? Like that's, you have yes. to have that foundation. Yes. Um, and I think that's where people may, or this is like my hot take factory, I guess. It's like, I think that's where people get it twisted is, um, yeah, you really, you cannot make up for shitty astrology with vibes. Like before you go, well, like I studied English literature, right? And it's like you do, you have to study and you have to know the rules in order to break them. Exactly. Right? Yes. Um, and 100%. same thing goes for reading astrological charts. Like you really need to, there are some basics that we've got to have memorized folks. Um, I also want to point out though, that I think the key, I think um astrology astrology is like a function we're basically looking at the function of saturn which is like time yet astrology itself is very mercurial but what what makes astrology so powerful is actually like when you start to bring jupiter into it and part of practicing jupiter in astrology is actually being okay with being wrong and this is what I've noticed, just like reading, so, so seeing, uh, <laughs> seeing the uh, uh, the argue the arguments and like the uh, the snip the sniping and the disagreements on Twitter is that like sometimes it's really just a fear of it's just like this inability to accept that one is wrong, but it's like it's not like we're taking a test. It's not like it's not like the oh, SAT. It's yes, like, it's in order to grow, you have to you're going to be wrong and. You know, maybe it's because I have a Mercury in detriment, <laughs> but it's like I'm wrong all the time, all the time. But that's but that's okay because that doesn't it doesn't mean that I'm a crappy astrologer. It just means that about that one thing I was mistaken. So then it's like so then it's like you know, I get over my feelings and that uh, which is you know usually like I go, uh, curl into fetal position in a corner and perseverate on my mistake and cry. And then once I pick <laughs> myself up, then I learn and move on. 
I think that's uh, the way that many, many people handle it. And like, you know, I think my Mars and Pisces is really jumping out too, because for me, I'm always like, well, so many things can be true at once. What if there's the jewel of truth has so many facets, right? Yeah. Like a beautiful yeah. jewel. Um, yeah, I, the the Twitter arguments are interesting, and I I do I just want to say thank you so much for going on this journey of a conversation with me because I feel like this kind of dialogue is something that's like been so missing from the conversation for like years and years and years because I do feel like there's been this perception of like different camps or right or wrong answers and you know like you said I I thought the way that you discussed astrology through the lens of the planets was really brilliant because you're right Saturn is time and I love that also astrology is having a Saturn return with Saturn and Aquarius mm -hmm. and then bringing the um the mercurial elements too but yeah I mean Jupiter I think has to be there as well because Jupiter is our belief systems and I guess if there's one thing that I will say about like what I believe about astrology is that it is like it kind of is a form of faith or belief or informs the way that you view the world right I think that's like um yeah I think that's cert that for for me yes I completely agree um I I think that it's like astro astrology is just like a system and then everything we get out of it that's like where like the beauty of it comes from because it's like you know if you just do astrology with the saturn and the mercury then and then you try to give a reading you you might have you might have delineated the chart and the natal promise so beautifully and succinctly but without jupiter how do you actually translate it into a way that it allows that information to conform and become this supportive uh recontextual contextualization of the your the person's life and this is where i find the power of astrology is it it allows one to see their context in a way that is affirming and support and supporting yeah absolutely i think when astrology is at its best it is affirming and supporting like i couldn't have said that any better i think that's a wonderful wonderful place to wrap the astrological discussion but i have a few more things before we end as we wrap up um are you ready for our lightning round at the end this is super easy i'm just gonna ask you some um astrology questions and yeah no thoughts just vibes tell me tell me what you think on these all right okay okay so do you have a favorite planet the moon yes okay excellent excellent i all the most powerful magicians i've ever known or worked with were sort of i don't know very grounded in lunar magic and the lore of the moon so i love to hear you say that um do you have a favorite zodiac sign to party with to party with um i i'm just a pisces stan <laughs> i just love every just pisces okay. So this like super Piscean moment that we're having is really speaking to you. Yeah, this this is to me like I yes, this is a party. It is. It, I can't honestly. I'm gonna regret these words. I know it, but I I think I'm excited for Venus, Jupiter, and Neptune in Pisces in like I, a couple of weeks. I'm eyeing a certain configuration, and we'll be doing a working for that. Same. It's like on my Google Calendar, like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. It's the moon in Gemini. It's like, put your workings on the calendar or else 
it's not real. Um, is there a zodiac sign that frustrates you the most? Yes, Leo. Oh my god, me too. I'm so sorry, Leos. I love you very much. I have many Leos close to me in my life, but yes. Funny thing, uh, really quick bit though. The funny Please. way, the funny thing about doing starting to work with the planets is that once I started working with the sun, there was a good like few month spree where every single client had Leo placements, and so. <sighs> I used to. I have a much better relationship with Leo placements, but I'm. A, I have a very painful relationship with the Sun. So, and also Leo is. I've got a bunch of Scorpio stuff, and Leo's the contra and Tisha of Scorpio. Mm. So the, do you find that it also goes along with your transits? Because that happened to me as well, and I had a um, solar perfection year. I was like, is everyone a Leo now? Right. Um, yeah, it, uh, I do not enjoy Leo season. It's very ick. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you don't mind me asking, like, where are you located right now? Is it is it like the it's the height of summer and it's just like too much? Oh my god. Um, oh my gods. I s somehow ended up in the last place I wanted to be, uh, California. I'm in San Diego. <gasps> Okay, perfect. I'm in perfect. I'm in San Diego. Okay, yes, I know some folks out there. I'm over on the East Coast in South Carolina, semi close to the beach, and um, Leo season is just absolute. You know, yeah, summer heat, muggy, hundred percent humidity, life destruction. So yeah. <sighs> okay, um, last one on that is. Is there someone who has like the most interesting astrology chart to you? Like, is there a celebrity example you keep coming back to and obsessing over? I can't, I can't recall anyone's chart specific specifically right now. Um, but I mean, this is the, That's okay. but cur but currently. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I watched the dramatization, uh, this like dramatization of a serial killer on Netflix, um, Charles Sabraj, on on oh my gosh. Uh, the serpent. And if you actually look at his chart, he has a lot of exalted and like well dignified planets. Interesting. So, um, but so it's really so I've been looking at his chart and just sort of like it's a little bit of a head scratcher, and it's like having me reframe. You know, it's like, and this is why I love astrology because it's like it's not necessarily a good thing to have a domicile planet or you know a planet in like yeah, like that ju that just speaks to planetary strength. Where but then the actual conditions of the chart might like uh, manifest that in ways that are actually like not like that are that could be like malefic. Well, not malefic. Sorry, that's not a good word. Like just um, you know. Just, I can't think of a word like, for lack of a better word, just like uh, just get, not so hot, right? Not like, so hot. <laughs> un, not some, you might you get some pretty unsavory manifestations. Absolutely, I with the um, planets in domicile or planets in their home sign. I've noticed like sometimes I'm like, oh my god, this is incredible. You have like peak access to the powers of Venus. I'm so jealous. But other times I think I loved your example of it, like 
being in a loud bar, like they're all just speaking really loudly, like sometimes planets and domicile can just be really pushy um, if the individual is not like really trying to work on themselves. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. Maybe there, it was that. Maybe this person just like did not have the self control to give it a channel. There's, yeah, there's also like, um, it, domicile planets are like uncompromising. Mm -hmm. So when you have a bunch of domicile planets, that just means that you that you have a bunch of parts of life that are just uncompromising and unyielding, and that yeah. may or may that might that's for better or for worse. It, you know, it it's never just one or the other. Yep, I always say that kind of at baseline in general, depending on what's going on. Like most things that astrology is doing in a natal promise is neutral. Right, and it's mm -hmm. how you choose to use it. Um, so mm -hmm. it's too bad to see someone decide to serial kill with um, planets and domicile, but that probably won't be you. Like, if you're listening, you will probably be the one to be able to like elevate it and make it work. Yeah, Char uh, Charles Sabraj had um, exalted Venus in the fourth, so angular exalted Venus in a night chart. Boy, we um, love to see it. Yeah, it's just it's very um, very interesting. Um, well, I, we're here at the end and I'm so excited to hear, I would love for you to just share, um, what do you wish you knew when you first started as a spiritual or astrological practitioner? Like if, if you could go back to that person at the beginning of that journey, what would you want to tell them? Hmm. Um, so if I were to tell myself advice for spirituality, it would be that um, doubt, uh, doubt, having doubt and having doubt is a part of building faith. And for astrology, um, <laughs> oh God, where do I, <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's see, um, I guess the, the biggest thing that was so helpful was that not everything I would tell myself is not everything on the chart is you. Ooh, that is such good advice, especially when we're talking about like angular houses and stuff. Brilliant. I when love I, how specific that is. When I realized that the way my, my practice just flourished in a way like, in such a way that was just like I couldn't like I would ne I would never be able to uh, delineate charts back then as I do now without having made that realization. Yeah, I feel like it. You know, not that we shouldn't always take accountability for the things that are ours, but realizing what isn't yours to carry is like the most powerful, enlightening thing. So mm -hmm. that's gonna help lots of folks. Well. Thank you so much for, for speaking to me today. Um, for folks that want to go and follow you or grab some of your materia, where can we find you online? Yeah, so um, you, can find, you can find me on, uh, I'm on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I also have my own website and an Etsy store page and I have the links on my social media pages, but on Instagram where <laughs> this is the poli I post pol polished ish things. It's, um, it's just at Chow Strologic, C H A U S T R O L O G I C. And then on Twitter where I'm just, it's just hot takes and 
<laughs> chaos. Hot takes and vibes. Hot takes and vibes. Um, it's uh, La Sota La Sota de Copas, which is just basically Page of Cups. Page of Cups, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Excellent. my website is uh, childstrologic.com. And then my shop name is also childstrologic.com. And the reason I picked Etsy was because Etsy provides payment plan options. I didn't know Etsy does payment plan options. Mm -hmm. That's a really great um, accessibility option. I'm going to have to like look into that a little bit more. That's really cool. Um, I will add all of this to the show notes for folks who want to see by Christopher. Seriously, thank you so much. Yeah, I think uh, this was a nice, nice treat to chat with you this afternoon. 